This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 13 tonight, today. today. Um, there's a lot of things we could be afraid about in our world today. Uh, we could be afraid, um, and I'm not talking like wars and things like that. I'm talking about just where we live. Um, we could be afraid that uh, if we said the wrong thing at work, that we could get fired. Uh, we could be afraid, uh, and I'm not talking bad things either. <laughs> I'm talking just standing up for what the Bible says. Uh, we can be afraid that... Um, um, <coughs> For being a Christian, that we might uh, face some kind of persecution or uh, discrimination for the sake of our faith. But Peter here tells us that uh, we don't have to be afraid. Uh, We don't have to be afraid because no one can harm us. So here's our text from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the comfort it gives us as we live in the midst of this hostile world. Lord, help us, Lord, to trust your word and to do as you command. Uh, Father, help us to trust in Jesus as we face um, these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, He begins with the question, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? And uh, he had just talked about um, whoever desires to you know, love life, see good days, let him keep his... So he's saying, you know, if you're zealous for these things, if you're zealous for living a life of harmony, of of unity, of brotherly love, of all these things he's talked about before, if if you're zealous for um, what is good, and that is that ultimately that what is good is the gospel. Uh, What is good is God, that, that he has saved us, that he sent his son, that he died for our sins and that he's coming again. If we're zealous for that, then the question arises in the form of a question, who's there to harm you? And as he asked this question, the answer that we should all come up with is no one. There's no one who can harm us. Uh, yet he seems there to, to uh, um, he's not hedging his bets. But he knows we live in a hostile world, right? He's been saying from the very first verses, 
We're strangers and aliens in this world. He's already uh, spoken in a way that expects that we will suffer persecution. He's talked about those who will malign us, those who will revile against us, and we're not to revile back just as Jesus didn't revile back. Um, But here he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. Now he's not just saying this is a possibility. He knows it's going to happen. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Now, how's that for us? That, that seems to, to uh, kind of blow the minds of, of, uh, of the world, right? That, that, how can that be? If you suffer, you're happy. <laughs> it, it, but honestly, that, he's, Peter is just here echoing what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, blessed are you when people hurl insults at you and persecute you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Peter here is, is relying on Jesus' very words as he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. For such is the kingdom of heaven, right? We, we have, uh, and this, this follows with the logic of First Peter, um, we have a future hope that we're looking forward to. We have a, a hope that will never fade away, that will, uh, that will uh, always be perfectly secure in heaven, uh, that we look forward to. When Jesus comes, He's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. He's going to set everything right. And, and, but right now, we live in this time between the times. I, I, I almost As we go through this book, it's all uh, so tied together that sometimes I feel like I repeat myself. <laughs> Probably because I am. But we suffer now in this world for righteousness sake, but we are blessed. Just like chapter one, whenever it tells us, um, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while you face various kinds of trials. When we suffer, we are blessed. We have joy in the midst of suffering. We can't be hurt. Ultimately, because we know we have the hope of the resurrection body. We can't be hurt. Even if they kill us, we can't be hurt. That's the biblical teaching. For believers, even if they drag us through the streets and beat us, we can't be ultimately hurt. Because whatever goes through this life is a little while in the big picture. He says, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. A couple of things here. Fear not, fear not, fear not. We hear this in the Bible over and over and over again. Uh, Abraham was told, Fear not. Uh, whenever God made his um, promises to him. Don't fear, I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward, is what God says to Abraham in uh, chapter 15. That's what I'm, I just preached last week at, uh, at Redeemer. Um, over and over and over and over in Scripture we hear, fear not, fear not. Um, in fact, uh, someone did a study uh, and, and determined that there were 365 times in the Bible where it says fear not, or some variation of that. That's one for every single day of the year. Okay, 
So we, we could go through and find all the, all the uh, fear knots and we could wait, start our day every day with fear not. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. It, it, not only should we not be fearful, but we shouldn't even be troubled. We shouldn't even let it bother us that people are hostile to us as Christians. But in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Here he sets up a contrast. There's, where instead of fearing, instead of fearing them, instead of being troubled, we are to honor Christ the Lord as holy. Uh, I think, um, how are we to avoid being fearful? How, how are we to uh, reject being fearful? But we are to honor Christ the Lord as holy. We're to set him apart. As holy, we're, we're to meditate on Him that He is great, that He is glorious, that He is our portion. The two fits together. If we're not honoring Christ as holy, if we're not setting our hope on Him, then we're going to fear, right? So these two things fit together. We've got to set our minds on Jesus. We've got to honor Him. We've got to set Him in His proper place. And because, you know, if we are fearful of human beings and what they might do to us, then Jesus isn't in His proper place. Is He? If we're afraid of what a human being can do to us, whether it be the government, whether that be our neighbors, whether that be our boss... If we're afraid of what people can do to us, then we're not honoring Christ as holy as he ought to be. The two don't fit together. They, 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 they don't go together. You can't do both at the same time. If Christ is the Lord, if he is the one who we are to fear, we're to fear God and not fear man. So we don't fear what man can do to us. Instead, we honor Christ. He is the Lord. He is holy. He is the one who we will one day answer before. Not human beings. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Here again, this is, this is a text that uh, is often talked about in the realm of apologetics, right? We want, we want to study to show ourselves approved. We want to study so that whenever um, we come across the skeptic or, or some atheist or something, uh, that we have answers for them, right? That's, that's the way we look at this text oftentimes. But it's not just talking about apologetics. It's talking about when you're in the workplace and someone says, why are you so different? Why do you do things the way you do? Why, why don't you go along with the world in this? They wouldn't put it that way. You can tell them, it's because of Jesus. It's because of what Jesus did in me, and this is why I believe in Jesus. Uh, we're to, to give a reason for the hope that is in us. And it doesn't take a theological education, formal theological education. It doesn't take a bachelor's, it doesn't take a master's, and it doesn't take a doctorate to be able to give a hope for uh, a reason for the hope that is in you. Every person who believes in Jesus can answer the question, why do you believe in Jesus? And we need to be ready so that in that moment when we're asked, what makes you so different? 
Why do you have this hope? Why are you so happy? We can tell them. It's because of the difference that Jesus made in me. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Um, um, Another thing here on this. I've heard it said that when was the last time any of us were asked, what makes you so different? What, what is the reason for the hope that is in you? And, and maybe the reason why we don't hear the question that much is that we're not living any different than the world. If we don't hear that question, that's a different sermon. <laughs> Always being prepared to make a defense for anyone that asks you for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. We're not to be prideful and boastful and, and, and say, well, of course, you know, we, we can believe this because, and just look down on people, but we're to be gentle. We're to be gentle in giving an answer. We're to be long-suffering in giving an answer. Uh, we're, we, we, we should be able to take their criticism and we're, we should be able to take their um, obstinance and be patient with them and, and gentle as we give an answer. And then it says, with respect. Now, that translation, gentleness and respect, makes it sound like this is saying being respectful of the other person, of the person that's, that's asking for the reason. Of course, we should be respectful of them, but the word there is not, it's, it's the word fear. Doing this with gentleness and fear. And we're not to be afraid of people and their challenges to our faith. We're to fear God. So whenever it says, do this with gentleness and respect, I think it's gentleness towards the other person, and we're doing it under the fear of God. Every time we give an answer, we know we're going to answer to God for what we say. If we try to run from giving an answer, if we try to, try to be, be shy and, 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 uh, um, and be fearful that if some of what we say is going to offend them, we've got to remember there's somebody bigger to be afraid of. We're to fear God and not what human beings will think of us. Having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We're to live lives, like Peter's been saying, of holiness, of reverence. We're not to violate our conscience God has called us to, to live, and, and when we fall into sin, that can, that can hurt our conscience. And so that when we, we give an answer, there, we don't want to have a reason where people can slander us and it stick, right? We don't, uh, here he says, have, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. If we don't have a good conscience, if, we have, if there are honest reasons why people who are slandering us can slander us, and it's not slander. <laughs> it's true. 
We don't want to be in that situation. Instead, we want to have a good conscience. We want to, to, um, to live lives that are morally upright before the world so that when they do slander us, and they will, those who revile us, those who speak against us, those who slander us will be put to shame. What does this mean? Do we want unbelievers to be put to shame? Do, is that something we want? Is that desirable that they be put to shame? There are two ways that I think this, um, this could possibly apply. One, is this an evangelistic thing? Where when they slander us and there's nothing that sticks with their slander, that, that they would come to believe and then they would be ashamed of the way they used to treat us. Does that make sense? The other is that on the last and final day of judgment, when all is revealed and they really see what they've done, that before God they will be ashamed of the way that they treated believers. I think it's the latter. I think it's the latter. Because as believers, we're not supposed to be ashamed. Jesus has washed away all of our shame. So, um, I think here it's saying God knows all things. God sees all things. And when we have a good conscience, when people have slandered us in this life, one day they're going to see all that's real and they will be ashamed before God for what they have done in this life. Then he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if it should be that will if it should be God's will, then for doing—oh, excuse me—for then for doing evil. That seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? It's better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. <laughs> if we suffer for doing evil, we're getting what we deserve. But if we suffer for doing good, we're going to be un- unjustly suffering, aren't we? It'll feel like, why, Lord? I'm doing good. I'm doing right. I'm, I'm following your will. Why, are, why do I have to suffer? But we know, hey, we've got a future hope. This is a light momentary affliction. That's why it's better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. We know we have a hope that we can look forward to. Whereas if we were suffering for doing evil, we just know, well, I put myself here. Finally, if that should be God's will. Boy, this is not a good verse for the prosperity preachers, is it? (laughs) The prosperity preachers that say, well, God, it's never God's will for you to be sick or you to be poor, right? That's, That's what the prosperity preachers say. Here, Peter is saying, it's better for you to suffer <laughs> and then that it's possible that it's God's will. <laughs> I'm going to say it's more than possible. If it's happening, if a believer is suffering, they're suffering because it is God's will. Let Benny Hinn get around that one. <laughs> 
Um, so, wrap this all together. We have things that we could be afraid of. We, we, we could be fearful that if we say homosexual marriage is a fiction, not just wrong, it's a fiction, it can't exist, then the world looking at us might say, well, you're delusional. Don't you know what the Supreme Court said? You're living in another world. Yes, we are. <laughs> We're living under Jesus' rules. If we say those things, we will, we will be slandered. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We, just like Peter has said before, we fear God, not man. He is our protector. He is our shield. He has saved us. We trust in Him. He has caused us to be born again. He has a future hope that is waiting for us. And He holds us by His hands. We have nothing to fear. In fact, we're blessed when we suffer. Thank you.